Three, two, one, here we go. Rain Man's Take Podcast. Observations on the world we live in. My take on current events and other topics of interest. Also, interviews with some really cool people. So let's get the conversation going. It's a rain man. Just want to give a quick shout out to everybody watching. Thank you very much. I know you're going to find this next interview thought provoking. I enjoy spending time with people like my next guest and getting into more detail about the subject matter. And I know you appreciate that as well. So go ahead and hit the like button and subscribe. That way we can continue bringing you great content in the future. So thanks again for being part of Rain Man's Take and enjoy the interview. Hey everybody, it's the Rain Man. I want to welcome back my guest, Bruce Laughlin. Bruce, how you doing? Pretty good, man. How are you? I'm good, brother. So uh, as many of you know, I've had Bruce on a couple times early on in, uh, in the podcast. Uh, Bruce is, uh, he and I flew uh, helicopters together in the Marine Corps. Bruce has a very, very extensive resume when it comes to uh, flying in the military. His combat experiences is unparalleled, really, in, in modern, day, uh, modern day aviation. And um, I wanted to have Bruce on primarily because of the last billet that he had while he was in the Marine Corps and he was stationed in Pakistan. And that's what we want. That's what we're going to talk about today. And the reason why I wanted to talk to Bruce about this was, uh, especially last year, you, you don't really hear much about Pakistan in the news on a regular basis, but last year as the debacle of our, of our withdrawal out of Afghanistan, and then you start hearing about China circling around Afghanistan. Uh, you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little things that aren't necessarily on the news, but it's a very, very uh, important part of the world, especially in the geopolitical realm of uh, U.S.-China relations and China's attempt to sort of um, their Belt and Road Initiative to try to com come uh, bring that whole area under their uh, their influence. And so um, that was the genesis of the conversation. And the only person that I know that has actually ever had boots on the ground in Pakistan is Bruce. And so uh, during the meeting here or during the call today, I'm going to be bouncing back and forth between Jojo and Bruce. Jojo was his call sign in the Marine Corps. Uh, but uh, so just as a heads up that that may happen. Um, so Bruce, why don't we do this? Why don't you kind of give us uh, what your billet was when you were actually over there and when that was? Well, I'll lead with this. Um, if you screw up enough jobs, uh, you get sent to Pakistan. So that's, uh, that's how it goes. Um, yeah, well, I was uh, with the uh, 1st Marine Expeditionary Force. Um, and then uh, when we were getting ready to deploy to Afghanistan, uh, we were one mess forward so we were forward deployed and i took the uh the billet of uh military liaison uh for rc southwest that's regional command southwest um uh in pakistan and i had uh, four colleagues or three colleagues that worked with me and they they supported different uh uh regions you know within afghanistan uh for example the army uh they supported uh, rc east and um Let's see, we had the east and then we had west or south rather, and then um, us. And so uh, we all just kind of worked together and mostly coordinating events that were happening along the uh, eastern Afghan border and the western PAC border. So I know you had some questions about uh, the PAC border, and it was a, a real source of conflict for us because the border that Afghanistan recognized was not the same border that the Pakistanis recognized. And uh, subsequently, we had uh, a little bit of crossover uh, where there were gaps and we were operating in what we thought was the border and the Pakistanis were operating in what they considered to be the border. And so sometimes things happen in that uh, no man's land. And that's what it's referred to as no man's land. And there's not a better you know, phrase or word for it. So uh, that's not how, how big is that area, first of all? Uh, well, the, first of all, let me go back here. The Afghans recognized the Durand line. Uh, it was established in 1893 by a guy named uh, Mortimer Durand. 
and he was commissioned by the, the British to do a survey, which is uh, starts in uh, northeast Afghanistan um, and then goes uh, south and then uh, southwest through the Baluch area of uh, Pakistan. Um, and then there's a little tail up in the uh, northeast Afghanistan, and that has to do with the, the British relationship with uh, Russia trying to pr uh, provide a buffer up there. So essentially, that's the, uh, the border that the Afghanis uh, recognized. It was kind of a soft border issue until uh, the conflict uh, with U.S. Uh, and the coalition coming into Afghanistan. And then they started to take a harder position um, on uh, what they considered the border and what the Pakistanis considered the border. So the Pakistanis considered the Duran line, the international border, as well as um, most countries do. Afghans did not. Um, but it wasn't uh, really a big topic until, uh, you know, we started operating there as a kind of redundant statement. But um, anyway, I just saw a pretty interesting piece uh, in uh, The Voice of America. It's an art article entitled, uh, uh, well, entitled Taliban Condemned Pakistan for Alleged Cross-Border Attacks. So all I get to say is, wow, yeah, big cry. And uh, so I got something else that I printed. And, uh, is that a recent article? Yeah, uh, April uh, 16th, uh, yeah, okay. uh, 2022. So and so, so I, uh, I put this up. It's my movie I'm going to make, uh, part two, <laughs> The Crying Gang. So uh, so the Taliban are crying about that. Uh, they're getting fired from Pakistan and uh, vice versa. So that piece uh, continues right now. Um, so, uh, yeah, my time there was pretty, uh, eventful given their, the events that happened prior to me or to my arrival, uh, was the bin Laden raid. And that was, uh, in May of, uh, 2011, the first of May, first or second, the, the raid happened, you know, on the timing is in, in the middle of the night. So yeah. it was a second of some, but, uh, that kind of burned a lot of bridges, uh, in our relationship with, with the Pakistanis. And it kind of was a, a matter of honor for those guys that, uh, you know, we were like, you guys have been hiding him all along and, you know, lots of finger pointing going on. And, uh, uh, there's a lot of things we can get into about yeah. how we were justified, I think, in our position on that. All right. So real quick, and this is my ignorance here. He was, they, they caught him in Afghan or in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. Oh, no way. Yes. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, in Abbottabad, um, it's about 65-ish, 60, 65-ish wow. miles north of Islamabad, just directly okay. over the hills. And, okay. Um, Damn. And that's where the uh, the pack, um, well, they're, they're, uh, essentially their West Point uh, is there, their military academy, PMA. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so it's a big deal. Uh, and he lived, uh, Bin Laden did, approximately a mile away from that institution. So you can't tell me that uh, they didn't know he was there because he lived in a pretty pretty nice house by Pakistani standards yeah. um, and certainly by Abbottabad standards. And uh, there are many graduates that within, uh, within the intelligence sector and within the military uh, from that, that school. And uh, so I think uh, most folks know, and there's some leaked information and some comments that folks have made uh, within the Pakistani government that they reneged on saying that there had to be an insider um, or insiders or that, you know, somebody knew uh, then the you know politicians uh, recanted those statements, so they're they're out there on the open yeah. source. But um, yeah, that's uh, that was an interesting thing. And then later, before I went, uh, we had an incident that's uh, called the Salala incident, not to be confused with uh, the Malala incident. And that was uh, on the eastern Afghan border. Um, this was in November uh, 2011, so it was after the Bin Laden raid. They're already kind of the Pakistanis are already kind of hot at us over things. Um, and there was a bit of a scrum along the border where uh, American forces or coalition forces uh, started exchanging fire with the Pakistani forces. And uh, this wasn't just a sporadic gunfire, it was directed fire. Uh, it kept on going on, apparently. And then uh, coalition forces called in a strike. And it was a Spectre gunship uh, and some other uh, assets. I'm not sure exactly because there's, you know, everybody's makes more of it than it was or less of it. But um, 
Pakistan military, they were they were very very uh, upset over it. The government was very upset. Uh, we killed, uh, say, we the coalition uh, killed 28 of their soldiers and wounded like uh, 12 or 13 more, something to that to that effect. And so uh, what they did was they said, look, we're going to cut your lines of communication off um, along the southern G lock that's uh, coming from the uh, the coast up through Pakistan, and. So my time in Pakistan, we were dealing uh, with those guys licking their wounds from bin Laden and licking their wounds um, from uh, the Salala incident. And uh, so we had to, we were on eggshells. Anytime there was an incident along the border, indirect fire or whatever, we, we would contact the Pak military or they would contact us and then we would try to smooth things um, and say, hey, it wasn't us or it was us. And because we didn't want conditions to get worse and we wanted uh, to free up uh, the stranglehold that they had on our lines of communication. And so I watched that and watched it and watched it. And um, essentially the Pakistanis were holding us hostage down there. So what we did was we're like, okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll just do it from the north. And um, that uh, northern area, I had to write it down because I forget it. I always refer to it as, uh, as something else. Um, but um, anyway, uh, essentially, Forget all the countries, but Uzbekistan. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, uh, and it was called the uh, the Northern Distribution Network. That's what okay. they referred to it as. All right. So um, the Pakistanis uh, they kept stating that uh, you know the the fight was unprovoked, um, that it was a violation of their sovereignty, and so sovereignty was the key issue. We, if they insisted that we were violating their sovereignty uh, when we were working, you know, in this, this no man's land uh, right. quite often. So uh, that went on and on. And at one point they wanted fees. Uh, my numbers as I sat in the meeting were closer to 9,000 uh, than the numbers that I saw reported um, of $5,000 per uh, vehicle that was crossing uh, into Afghanistan from Pakistan. And uh, regardless, 5,000 or 9,000 doesn't really matter. We kept balking at it and balking at it and balking at it. And eventually, uh, they, what they wanted was uh, they wanted the money and they wanted a formal apology. And then Secretary Clinton uh, eventually um, apologized, but the apology was not sufficient. The apology essentially was, um, hey, mistakes were made. You know, let's hug and let's get back to business. So it was a non-apology, typical politician yeah. bullshit. It was a, a non-apology. And um, let's see, what was the, I think what, anyway, we ended up uh, giving these guys some money for all the forces that they were putting towards uh, their Western border in support of counterterrorism operations. And I think that to, to the tune of about $150 million dollars. And then the Pakistanis uh, started uh, releasing or freeing up the lines of communication down south, which angered the Taliban. Uh, they're like, hey, you know, what are you doing? Uh, so they, they insisted that they would attack uh, convoys in that area. And we, we never really saw that, fortunately. But uh, yeah. that's how that went down. And it was almost six months, maybe more, of uh, those negotiations. And uh, uh, finally, we, we got freed up. And we still, it put us behind our timeline on our withdrawal but uh pretty significant yeah and you were you were based primarily in islamabad right yes that's right okay. and so were most of those negotiations taking place in in the city or yeah. were they out in the frontier uh it was well islamabad and south of islamabad is raul pindi and that's where the army headquarters is okay. in raul pindi and so uh it was challenging because i worked with uh, my pakistani uh, counterparts weekly i would see those guys um they would either come up or i would head down to you know their area and we would you know chat for a few minutes just to you know keep our fingers on one another um but it was hard to get uh the generals from the coalition in country because the pakistanis were still very reluctant to have you know they they still weren't ready to make up so um even getting a four star in was very difficult. We managed to get a couple of two stars in um, from the ISAF uh, headquarters um, that, that were working those pieces. Um, 
but uh, it took forever for the four-star general Allen for us to to get him in. And yeah. finally, we did about the time that they were getting soft and ready to not getting soft, getting ready to um, strike a deal. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, Panetta was getting hot uh, as it, when he was a sec def. He said his he was running out of patience, and I think that they knew that uh, they they might overplay their hand, and maybe they they did. So, particularly as we were starting to uh, get more momentum from the northern G lock. So, yeah, and uh, and and so all that is taking place kind of at the micro level on the ground in Pakistan was. Because Pakistan's a nuclear uh, oh, yeah. armed, India's nuclear armed, and yeah. that that has that's always been sort of a a, a, a interesting situation there. Uh, does any of that like macro uh, geopolitics come into play at all with what you were doing down there? Um, I think it it just hovers around you. Yeah. You just know it's there, and when you consider that, uh, okay, September the eleventh. Um, you know, 2001, we were pushing into Afghanistan. But think about this: the first, um, the first, well, shut this thing down. Very professional of me. Uh, the first nuclear test that Pakistan conducted uh, was in 1998, and they conducted their second one uh, a few days later. It was like August of 1998, and uh, they they did that down in uh, southeast Pakistan, near the Iranian border, not border, but in the Baluch area. But uh, that that wasn't that long before, you know, that time span between September 11th. So it was pretty fresh on people's mind when when we started uh, when we considered, uh, you know, what we were doing in Afghanistan. I think that everybody just kind of got to the point where they just understood that Pakistan was a nuclear power and we we're going to handle them as a nuclear power. But uh, as we look at the future events, they should be cautious their own government about being a nuclear power, given uh, a rise in Taliban activity along their Western border. All right. So that's exactly what I wanted to get to next. Um, the, the original thought was, you know, what was the history between that border? And obviously it's been going back and forth since whenever that yeah. Durant line was set up, but what is the, what could be a potential scenario? Are, are they concerned that the Taliban come over and take over the nuclear or it well, that bad? They should, um, given that um, I think that Pakistan thought whenever the U.S. forces or coalition forces, I keep saying that, uh, withdrew from the area, that uh, the Taliban would be, you know, more excited than they were um, and, you know, just kind of just chill a little bit. But yeah. uh and the Pakistanis were like, well, so you can, you guys are going to just stop what you're doing, not stop what you're doing, but we're going to have a, you know, big hug. And that's not been the case. And so if there's a rise in strength, you know, within the, uh, the Taliban, it's a uh, Tariq e Talib Pakistan. That's, uh, in what was the federally administrated, uh, administered tribal area, uh, if they continue to, to get stronger and stronger, they could pose a threat to, uh, to Pakistan. You and know. you know, you know what I love about all that, Jimmy, take going back to last year when we, when we left Afghanistan, everyone's like, we now acknowledge the, the Taliban as this legit, oh. you know, I mean, it, and then within like a week it was, and then of course now, you know, women are locked up and covered up and it's yeah. the fact that, this current administration actually thought that they had changed is horrifying. And it, 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 if it, if it wasn't so scary, it would be like a comedy show. Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks uh, that, and we didn't anticipate it. I, I don't even think, I think that we strike that. Uh, everybody that uh, had any sense anticipated that things would, would go back there, you know, yeah. but uh, at the, uh, Tactical level, I guess it doesn't doesn't really matter. Uh, I was there during the withdrawal, the, the initial phase of withdrawal where we, we set the numbers uh, of forces going into Afghanistan. And we were, at least in my uh, region, well, everywhere, they, they set the number to the person. You couldn't deviate by one person. If I needed to fly you in, because, um, you know, just to fill a little gap here or there, a few dozen people, not happening. You had to you had to be exactly on your number. And uh, so it didn't matter what the circumstances were. And uh, the, 
administration was going to march down that path for, yeah. for you know right or wrong but uh we all knew that we needed to keep the presence there at least the tacticians did yeah, and some, something. that it, it was kind of out of out of their hands it's like okay we're doing this like it or not so um, but uh yeah they, right now the taliban has they can pretty much do do what they want and um like i said uh, they're probing uh, the pack borders from the uh, afghan taliban uh a little bit and they're they're meeting some resistance so it's not been uh bed of roses yeah and, and the one thing that caught my attention last year during this whole debacle of the, of the withdrawal uh apparently and i did not know this until last year afghanistan is one of the one of the largest producers of uh rare earth uh, minerals and of course the chinese immediately jump in to take our place and partner up to you know we'll help you get that stuff out of the ground and and you know get it to market whatever the chinese jumped right in are they doing when you were there was there any sense that the chinese were trying to to get uh, some kind of influence in pakistan as well and are they now oh certainly um i mean they're they are opportunists and uh, so they're striking deals uh, with the government, uh, not just, excuse me, with a, a variety of uh, industries, if you will. Um, and they they can run small businesses out of business, small manufacturers, that is, with their manufacturing capacity. And they can sell things. What would cost, uh, you know, a few rupee, it would be just, let's say something cost, I don't know, 100 rupee. Uh, they could run it down to 10 rupee pretty quick and run a business or run a, a, a manufacturer out of business pretty easily. But, and that's what I witnessed uh, there um, in my short time. Cause I talked to some of the store owners uh, and they're like, yeah, you should have seen that. I said, this is pretty cheap. You know, like, yeah, Chinese make it. And you know, the uh, Pakistani manufacturers just can't compete yeah. uh, with, particularly with plastic goods and things of that nature. But uh, now I understand that, you know, they're, they're struggling with uh, inflation. And I, I know that, uh, you know, fuel prices are up, food prices are outrageous. Uh, last year, there was a push to raise the, the minimum wage uh, in Afghan, or excuse me, Pakistan. And I don't know where that stands, but most of it was in the, um, the Punjabi area and in, you know, kind of uh, around Islamabad, that area. But uh, a wage worker or a unskilled laborer um, makes probably somewhere around the equivalent of a dollar a day. Uh, and a skilled laborer makes uh, maybe um, eight bucks a day. Um, so it's, uh, they, they can't tolerate a whole lot of movement on the, the price of their, their goods just to ensure their well-being. So yeah. Uh, what, uh, what is, I, I consider Afghanistan a failed state. Is, yeah. is PAC, I mean, are they relatively stable right now? Have they? No, no. No. Okay. No, they've, but they've been in a cycle of uh, instability for uh, decades and uh, they get up a little bit and get on their feet and then something happens. They, they just can't weather uh, a lot of tough conditions. Just, yeah. um, you know, they're dealing with insurgents and they've got the Indian thing, uh, just that bug. They can't stop. They can't leave it alone. Uh, it is my opinion that the Indians most of the people, both Pakistani and India, uh, Indians, they, it's not that big of a deal to them, uh, but it's, a, it's something that people just won't let go. Yeah. Uh, and, and the military, I can speak from uh, my experience, we, they still had, the Pakistanis still had a large presence on their eastern border, and the Indians still kept a large presence on their western border. They're, they're just um, consumed by the notion that they might go to war. Um, but I don't see that it's in the interest of Indi India to do that. And I was in India just you know a little while ago and uh, saw all the manufacturing and kind of the promise that uh, those manufacturers saw. Right. So certainly would be disruptive for them. Yeah. And, and do they feel, does India feel the same way in terms of, uh, you know, potential conflict with, with Pakistan or are they just kind of moving on? And mm, I, I don't know. I've thought yeah. about that. I, I think they're, they, they want to just move on yeah. and, um, and have success. But I think it's just one of those deals. It's kind of hard to, uh, to get an old rivalry uh, behind you, you know, yeah. sound like Philadelphia and Dallas, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say, I was going to say the USA and Cuba, we don't have to, yeah. I mean, I'm not the only, the only thing I can think of why Pakistan 
would want to keep that sort of front and center is that's really the only thing that makes them relevant. Well, you know, I, th I think there's a lot to be said uh, about that. They want to be legitimate players in the region. And um, so that, that brings up a good point with everything going on with uh, Russia and the Ukraine, uh, your thoughts on uh, China. Uh, and then with the, the Russia-Ukraine thing, nobody's really talked about Turkey. Now, Turkey's made some, uh, they rattled some, you know, sabers regarding, uh, you know, uh, Finland and, uh, they're wanting to be in NATO and so forth. Yeah. But uh, when I was there, we were talking more about who was going to be the influence, the big influencer to Afghanistan. And who did, who did we see as the best influencer? Obviously, Iran could influence. We, we don't want that. Uh, maybe uh, Turkey could have been a moderate influence. But then Turkey started uh, becoming more sectarian. And uh, so maybe they weren't the good big brother. Russia who knows what their their deal is uh, China then we saw that they they might have uh, wanted to move in on that and then certainly Pakistan if we could have had a real stable Pakistan and a good government um, maybe they would have been a good big brother uh, to help Afghanistan stabilize and, and mature but uh, doesn't look like that's going to be the case so I mean that that border between the two obviously that's been going on from day one and so you know they you have you actually just have to start there you know which yeah. which, which is uh who, who's got what and then let's let's come to an agreement on that but it sounds like that's going to be an impossibility yeah nobody's been able to uh to handle that border and i guess you can do it but you'd have to uh impl implement some draconian measures you know yeah so. and are we talking what does that border look like are we talking in the middle of the mountains or is it oh, totally. In fact, that's one of the controversies, at least it was many, many years ago. It was hard to, uh, to do the surveying. Uh, so there were some, some inaccuracies um, that were hard to overcome. And a lot of these um, borders that were established are the line across tribal borders. And those yeah. tribes still exist. And so they don't really recognize the borders. They're just kind of like, yeah, it's there. Uh, but the, my cousin lives over there and he's, his cousin has and so forth for years and years. So it's uh, been just kind of systematically been the way things uh, have been. And it wasn't really a problem until uh, we started trying to uh, wrangle Taliban and started chasing them into, uh, into Northern Pakistan. So yeah, yeah. North, uh, Western well, cause he's running, he's running to his cousin's house to hide. Yeah, exactly. I want to see what's for dinner, man. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, you know, uh, well, it's not really about this podcast, but, uh, when I was in Afghanistan, up in the mountains, the guys with these uh, foreign fighters and Taliban, they would eat frozen donkeys. Frozen. They were just frozen. They just take a hunk off of them and uh, like like jerky or something. Frozen jerky, jerky popsicles. <laughs> but that's insane, that's dude. Hard people. Yeah. Uh, so so let's do a little bit of uh, some uh, personal interest type questions. What is Islamabad, Pakistan like? How big is it? Is it like Cairo, Egypt, that insane? No, no. no. It's, it's uh, I'll tell you what, if you flew into uh, the airport in Pakistan, Budo, um, and went to Islamabad, you'd be like, man, this isn't so bad because the homes in Islamabad, um, because there are so many, you know, embassies and such around that, that area, and a lot of wealthy people, um, you, just, you would think it's not such a bad place. Uh, Islamabad is about a million people. Uh, that's so you have wealthy, but uh, uh, a lot of poor people. But you just they you just don't see them. They're kind of out of the way, yeah. uh, except on the streets. You see them everywhere on the streets. But if you get south to Rawalpindi, now Pindi is two and a half million people. So within a small area, smaller than like a San Diego area, um, probably close to four million people. So, okay. uh, but yeah, Islamabad, big houses. Uh, they're all surrounded by fences though i mean big fences too everybody's got uh, security a barbed wire uh, and nobody's you go to the market you don't know uh, when when i was there uh an official was gunned down uh his bodyguard killed him so it's hard to get good bodyguards uh nowadays so but uh yeah just in a, in the market I and mean, it's one of the more prominent uh markets uh, the kosar market uh, giving a shout out to my friends at kosar market uh <laughs> But yeah. I was going to, 
mention something about the, you know, talk about the ups and downs. Uh, we thought Khan, Imran Khan was running to be the PM uh, when I was there. And so a decade later, he, he becomes a PM less than a decade and uh, had a big falling out. So that's been kind of interesting, but uh, it's hard to keep that job, but uh, he kind of pissed off the military and they kind of got together with uh, the opposing party, the opposition party uh, in Pakistan. There's, there's, I want to say more than 15 political parties there, but uh, there's two that have some, some significant, significant influence. Right. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, next thing you know, he's ousted uh, economic reasons. Uh, the, I mean, hell COVID didn't help. Uh, certainly um, this Russia, Ukraine stuff uh, hadn't helped. And so uh, they get rid of, they, you know, they threw him on his uh, tail because Khan was complaining about, again, the Afghan uh, issue saying it's not our fault. It's that uh, there's instability and uh, pointing the finger at the military um, and they didn't care for it. And um, they wanted the, the military wanted a new guy to be their intelligence uh, head and Khan didn't like that and disapproved that. So I think he made some enemies outside of the, the inner political circle. Is, is that, that uh, dynamic similar to what, uh, Turkey used to be in that the military sort of decided who was going to be the leader. And as long as everything was working out that that leader remained. And if not, the military removed them. Well, I think they, uh, they certainly work behind the scenes to, to influence. I mean, um, we saw that with the, the coup, you know, with Musharraf and all that, uh, they, I mean, they're willing to, to do that if they think that that's in their best interest to keep that military apparatus alive well because uh, they're always i mean people don't trust uh, the government they certainly don't and that's not just my opinion that is my experience talking to people uh they they do like the military the military has been the only stabilizing force uh, yeah. for just the average citizen at least yeah. in their minds yeah and when you were over there how much interaction did you have with the general population uh well i my interaction was mostly with uh folks uh, in the embassy inside the, uh, the cantonment. So all of the embassies, there were a lot of, uh, of Pakistanis that worked there. So you could always, they, most of them spoke pretty good English. So you could kind of get your ear to the ground and ask them what they think about a variety of things. Start off with crickets, what I say, and then you can segue into politics. <laughs> Seem like there's always a, an India, a Pakistan cricket match or, or Sri Lanka, uh, you know, you know, your, your neighborhood's tough when you can't get a bunch of cricket players to fly over to play you. So, uh, but uh, yeah, they, they were all uh, optimistic about their opportunity to come to America, <laughs> you know. From Seriously, no, that, yeah. And uh, they, they were very candid about their thoughts on uh, the government, but they, they, they were candid, but they weren't going to run out and shout. How about that? They, you know, yeah. uh, but uh People are generally nice there. Um, yeah, that I uh, I didn't know if I did uh, you know run across any Talibani, but uh, they would hang out in Islamabad because they that's kind of their vacation spot. Um, you know that's where they would go get me medical treatment and so forth. Really? Uh, so yeah, um, they were never bothered. But the ISI they, they knew everything. So I mean they could put ten guys on one dude easy just to collect. Uh, and they did yeah. it. And it's just, uh, the way they, they operate, you know, internally, they collect on everybody and that goes back to the bin Laden thing. There's no way in the world uh, they didn't know uh, he was there. They would know, yeah. they would know what color your underwear were uh, right yeah. now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And now did, did, did you have somebody telling you all the time? Yeah. And did you know not, that? Not 24 seven? Um, yeah. Sometimes uh, they, they had practices such that uh, maybe you, you stepped out to go somewhere when we had uh we could go to markets, but we had limited exposure, like five minutes, 10 minutes at the most. Uh, but sometimes it would be overt where people would come up and say, uh, you know, let me see your identification. Yeah. Um, and then you just say, no. Um, and, let me see your and then what happens? Uh, you got to push back. It's like a rules of engagement, you know, be ready for them right now. Uh, and say, if you see it, it's like, okay, I got one for you. Yeah. Um, so I'm not showing you my identification. You show me yours. And then, uh, they'll, they'll keep it up, push a little bit and say, well, I'm going to call a diplomatic security there. They'll send their guys, the Afghan guys, or excuse me, Pakistani, uh, security guys. And then y'all can look it out. 
So, and then they'll, they'll leave. But uh, in terms of like getting on your phone and stuff, you know, we had regular cell phones that we would use just for just talking, not nothing uh, serious, but yeah. uh, you could hear the guys get on it. You can actually have a conversation with them sometimes. Yeah. So they're overtly listening, you know, yeah. you hear kids playing in the background and uh, pretty wild, but uh, yeah, they're, but you know, it, it was good and bad because uh, they protected you too, as much as they wanted to know what you're doing. And a guy like me, yeah, I'm getting some Funyuns and maybe a Coca-Cola at the convenience store. But uh, yeah, but, but they would, you know, they didn't want, uh, you know, me to, for me to get, be attacked. Right. So yeah. I think their presence was actually good uh, in some ways. I'm just curious. Interesting. Yeah. And, and uh, so I, I remember before you went over, you did a, uh, a defensive driving course because you mm. drove around everywhere over there. And I keep, yeah. for, for whatever reason, I have it in my head that Islamabad was like Cairo, just insane on the streets. It, how bad was it to drive uh, over there? Islamabad, not so much, but if you got to Rawalpindi, definitely. Uh, but, um, and, you know, you had to drive aggressive to, you know, match aggressiveness with aggressiveness. But, uh, and some of the vehicles we drove, I drove a small car, just a real small car, so I could fit in a little bit. But uh, one of my counterparts, who was a, a British guy, he would push cars with his car. Like, you know, he wasn't going to stop in certain areas, you know, this wasn't going to do it. So you're getting out of the way, literally, physically. And Unbelievable. So, yeah. But, oh, that's amazing. And, and you know, I was going to say movements. If you had anybody that was relatively uh, important, um, you would have convoys with people and uh, vehicles with machine guns, you know, like technical vehicles and there are people jumping out, stopping traffic and uh, it's pretty insane. They would, they would disrupt the whole suburban area or urban area rather yeah. quickly. So, and did that happen all the time or no? All the time. Yeah. Really? Yeah. If you, if you brought anybody along for a meeting higher than me, uh, then you're going to get the, the full, uh, the full detail. So I now, didn't. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> now let's, let's, I, I just want to bring this up because I don't want to forget it. And this is none of nothing other than uh, commenting on another culture and mm. what they think is, is acceptable that we may not think is, is acceptable. Talk to me about what, what's that holiday where they slaughter all the goats in oh, the streets? Yeah. yeah, I was, uh, first of all, anybody who's uh, not experienced Ramadan, uh, well, they should take notes because Ramadan is tough um, in the summertime because the days are so long and it's so hot. And uh, typically uh, people of the Muslim faith, they don't, um, they, they don't drink during uh, the day, but if you're wealthy enough, you can party all night, sleep all day. But uh, at the end of uh, Ramadan, uh, they have a big feast, the Eid celebration. And uh, so, you know, it's coming, even if you're not looking at the calendar, because people are starting to stake out their animals could be on the in the medians between, you know, roads, uh, you see, you know, lambs or goats or something staked out. And uh, really? they're trying to graze on what little grass there is. And they're, you know, fat and uh i was there and i'm trying to think we were late june whenever uh, ramadan or bead festival was happening uh and you could just hear these lambs just getting slaughtered it just was lambs and goats and uh, just across the city uh, along with all the all uh, the imams from the minarets and their singers you know just it was so bizarre but what was worse is hot 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 day uh the birds, they have crazy crows in Islamabad. They're black with kind of a gray ring neck. Uh, they were slaughtering these things out in the street, out on the sidewalks and stuff like that, and yeah. just piles of entrails out. And these birds would fly by, and they might have, you know, a one-foot-long strand of guts or an eyeball or something. And, you know, it just it was so freakish. They just zoom by with their prize. But uh, at the end, a lot of the – you would drive by these mosques, and uh, they would have all these – heads just on not on stakes but on on the fences you know yeah. just sitting up there just in celebration that's a that's a good one and i'm trying to think of the other celebration that just blows my mind dude blows my yeah. mind yeah and there's the other celebration and pardon my ignorance but where uh 
uh, where the Shia, they, they march and they self-flagellate uh, and they just, they, you know, they're, they're bloody and uh, it's, it's kind of weird. It's a different- uh, Right to right to downtown Islamabad. Yeah, they'll have a, they'll have a parade route yeah. mapped out. So it's pretty, uh, pretty civilized. Um, but speaking of which, uh, Khan made an announcement that there's gonna be a big riot. They have to have their riots approved. So that's that's pretty cool. They do, and uh, so he's gonna. He said it's gonna be the biggest one they've seen in a long time. And so, uh, oh, is this we'll is this, is this now yeah. or present day? Yeah, present day. Oh, he's, really? He's, yeah, he's kind of still bitter about uh, getting kicked out of jo his job, and so. Uh, oh, so he's uh, trying to get back in. I'm not. I guess he does. I guess he is. Um, but uh, he, they definitely. He, just recently, there was um, a, a group that stormed um the a building in the red zone which is adjacent to the the uh the diplomatic enclave yep. and you're not supposed to do any protesting in the red zone and these guys stormed a building um got through the fence climbed over the fence and i don't know what the end result was but i think about that because Khan was pissed off well think about our own country uh you know with the guys getting mad and protesting outside the white house yeah. or the rather yeah uh, so that's just a food for thought. Yeah, it's uh, and I mean, I can I can only imagine what what China's doing currently behind the scenes right now over there. I mean, I remember you know when we were over in in Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos, they were all over the place there, and they're just moving. They're just moving west. Uh, obviously, the whole thing with uh, Afghanistan, I haven't heard much about that recently, but I have to imagine Pakistan is is next i don't know I, I think again china probably has a wait and see uh sort of thing going on there uh i think they want to see a, a, a stable uh, central asia so they can kind of get on with some of their other designs uh, that railway that we saw going through uh laos and cambodia yeah. that was pretty impressive and it was unbelievable that does i mean they definitely have designs um to just really expand their footprint in that area but I think it's going to be more wait and see in Afghanistan for sure. Um, just, I don't think that there's any sort of real hurry for those guys to get in there. I mean, they're already in, yeah. in a way, yeah. but, uh, what, yeah. uh, so where, where are we in terms of Pakistan right now? Is it kind of a low boil with Afghanistan and could that potentially blow up or, is it on the other side, on the other boundary with India? What What do you think is the oh, potential based on what you what you saw over there? I think uh, that the India-Pakistan thing will be kind of like the uh, weather in San Diego. It's just going to be there. You yeah. might get some overcast weather and some, you know things of that nature. I, I think that the Afghan thing is going to uh, continue to develop. Um, I think the economic piece is really going to be the the decider and how much tolerance uh, the people have. I, I don't even think it's a matter of tolerance is how much, can, how much can they handle? And then what capacity does the government have to, uh, to help them out? Oh, you're you know? talking about inflation and, and that? Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. And, you know, just feeding people and, uh, and if the government can't, can't do anything, then, uh, I think, you know, there could be some considerable unrest. And then you throw in like a, a natural uh, disaster, an earthquake or something. I know that seems uh, apocalyptic, but, it, you know, they've had a few earthquakes and some floods in yeah. the past decade. So, but it, it wouldn't take much to kind of um, break the spirit of those folks. I'm not saying the government. I'm just saying the people just have it rough. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, it seems like it's it, that whole part of the world. Yeah. Uh, you either have money or you don't. <laughs> Right. Well, uh, I think There's I mentioned no middle something. class, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the wages are just uh, outrageous. I mean, they're just outrageously low. They were, I, I kind of referenced uh, the wages from whenever I was there almost right. a decade ago and they're still, they still haven't changed really uh, for the, just the average worker. And um, yeah, it's hard to fathom because I, I thought things were kind of expensive, even at the markets. I'm like, uh, you know, it wasn't cheap for a Westerner who had a six figure salary, you know? So, yeah. Um, and I assume, obviously, there's still your billet is still filled over there. I assume that that's still going. Um, no, it's not. Um, really? The, no. 
it's not, uh, we still have a, um, ODRP, the Office of Defense Representative Pakistan. And so those guys work uh, with Pakistani military along with uh, the US Embassy to, you know, like one of the projects was, uh, well, arms acquisitions, F-16s, things of that nature. Um, you know, just it, trying to just maintain that relationship. Uh, that's all. I mean, the Indians don't want any arms from us. Not that we're in the business. We're so interested in selling arms, really selling security is yeah. what we're trying to do. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they still have a footprint there. And then clearly there's other governmental folks there. But uh, USAID has a, a large footprint there. I think it, at the time it was the, the largest um, USAID effort. Oh, uh, really? In the world. Yeah, interesting. yeah. So they do a lot there. So I didn't we'll I didn't realize that Pakistan is primarily their military is primarily armed with US weapons. Well, they've got Kalashnikovs and things of that nature, but they've got a lot of US uh, weapons too. But like uh, their air force they fly F16s. Yeah, okay. F16s. I, I don't know what uh, lot they are. I need a I need a fourth gen fighter guy to skip, school me up. You know, I, I saw uh oh uh General Yeager, Chuck Yeager, before I, when I was flying into uh, Pakistan, he was waiting to fly in his, himself. And I, he said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, sir, what are you doing here? I mean, that's, he said, I'm going to go see some guys at the Pakistani Air Force. And uh, I helped start the Pakistani uh, Air Force. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And he's, well, he was able to get in, and I wasn't. So, huh. so you, know, you know what's amazing about that is I remember, god damn, this has, had been college. I read a book. It was one of those. I think it was. I think it was Dan Brown. I don't. I don't remember for sure, but it was you know, one of those aviation type of novels. Mm -hmm. And the dudes were U.S. aces that were hired by. I. I want to say it was somewhere in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia or whatever, to start up the to start up the Air Force. And that's what Pakistan did. That's amazing. Yeah. It. Uh, I don't know that they they sought us or we sought them, uh, but. Uh we've definitely been a, a key player in their development. I don't know, you know, that their, uh, their ground forces, probably uh, the, the British more than anybody has influenced them. Their military is structured uh, in the British structure. Uh, their, uh, their government is structured the same way. Okay. I mean, it's deviated in the, their court system. They've got a Sharia court and a Supreme court, uh, but uh, it's a Westminster style uh, parliamentary style. And so, system. so the, so the, uh, architecture of the buildings in Islamabad is, yep. is, is Western. Uh, well, yes, I'm not, I'm not an architect, but uh, they, they kind of got happy with postmodern architecture in the seventies, the you know, so. Like they they uh, went for the communist ground. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but you know, uh, if you go to the red zone, all those great buildings that they built uh, with fountains and things uh, like that, they don't work. The fountains don't work. It's uh, dug in like, defensive positions, you know, security positions, fighting holes, you know, literally. Really? Uh, yeah, it's kind of wild. You have checkpoints everywhere. And they're not pretty checkpoints. They're very mobile rocks and bricks with yeah. some rolled wire. And yeah. so what are they worried about? Taliban terrorists coming in? What's uh, And have they been hit by terrorists recently? Uh, you know what? Uh, in 2009, in the spring, uh, the, uh, the Marriott uh, in Islamabad got hit. And that was, heck, that's half a mile from the red zone yeah. maybe less than half a mile okay but it's one of the few places you can get a beer i know that so i <laughs> don't hit that come on man it's <laughs> something else i love it what so so just as a for for somebody who is i've been over in the middle east but only uh on a u.s base in the middle east so i don't know what it's like to actually live out there what was it what was what's your What's your impression? What was your your memories of that? I mean, it, it, it's stuff that's uh, uh, chaos. I mean, a real yeah. chaos. Uh, and uh, you know, you have to be careful to keep your guard up all the time because you kind of get accustomed to it and um, yeah, start to get a little uh, lazy with your own self or force protection, uh, your own protection. Uh, you know, you drive different routes, uh, things of that nature. But I, I think I told you this story though. Speaking of driving different routes. There was a house along uh, a park that's adjacent to the red zone and uh, near the uh, diplomatic area. It had a red roof, a red tile roof, one of the very few um, in the area. So it was very easily uh, distinguishable. 
and I would drive by it on occasion. And one time I was driving by it and I saw a checkpoint that stood up right there, just a small one, just a, it wasn't, no, it wasn't really a checkpoint. It was more like a guard stand, a couple guys and some wire and, a, you know, some shade. Right. Well, um, I didn't think anything of it except for just seeing, you know, why'd they put it here? Well, a few weeks later, there was an article about bin Laden's wives and they had been, they, they showed a picture that they were in, you know, they had been kept in a house. Well, it's the only house within a hundred miles that I knew of with a bright red um, oh, tile. No I drove by that place, uh, you know, every so often. Yeah. So I knew it was right there by the park where people wash their cars and cut hair and stuff, do their laundry. So, yeah. Man, that's, that's wild, brother. That is wild. What, uh, in, in kind of based on what you, the experiences that you had there, when you see news stories now, uh, what's your personal opinion on the direction we're going over there? Not we as in the U.S., but uh, just that whole that that whole part of the world. What's what is it? Uh, are we are they moving in the right direction in terms of a peace and prosperity, or are they still so far behind the power curve that it's going to take a while and it's still going to be one of these variable areas that constantly flaring up oh i think it will constantly flare up uh but our concerns will be largely about their own uh, their internal security um they don't really pose a, uh, an external threat because they're just not i mean they regionally perhaps you know they they want to influence certainly their isi wants to influence but uh, yeah but what's that what's that india and afghanistan and that's basically it right yeah or, you know they just the borders i guess yeah just kind of they, you know, that you got to keep your, uh, your swing, uh, good, you know? So, uh, yeah, they, you know, they, they play that, that, uh, spy versus spy game. Uh, yeah. uh but, uh, I don't see that their, their military has any other designs because they've got a good thing going. I mean, they retire, they, and I'm not talking about your average military guy, but I'm, the top generals, they've got a great retirement system. Uh, they've, it's a uh, very nepotistic, um, and they like the way things are. They've got, you know, they've just got a good thing. They've got a tremendous amount of influence um, and uh, a lot of autonomy to do their jobs, but uh, probably need more money, but who doesn't? <laughs> and, and in general, the, the, the general population in Pakistan are, they're content. They're being, their, their basic needs are taken care of. So they're, so there's no, mm -hmm. there's no potential for uprising from, from the bottom up. No. Uh, I think they're just tired. You know, I mean, you know, you, anything is better than what they have. And so, uh, um, you know, they're kind of working their way up from the bottom and um, they're just, I think they're just tired and they don't anticipate, they're not optimistic that there will be change. Yeah. And every time they see, they get optimistic and they see change, Khan's a perfect example. You know, he's a cricket hero uh, and he's, he can stand on his own. He's got his own wealth. Uh, they're optimistic that he could make change and he didn't make change. So yeah. now they're just kind of like, you know, yeah, we'll see. I'm not going to, I'm not going to invest in that stock today. I'm just going to continue. Yeah. yeah. Wait it out. So that's, that's my opinion. So not a, um, not a as great. A, yeah. As a, uh, it's, it's tough to think about going through life like that, you know, yeah. just that resignation of this is it. I'm just going to slaughter my goats out in the street and yeah. Well, and you know, the other thing is that doesn't necessarily reflect uh, the whole uh, country. The military officers that I dealt with, uh, they spoke better English than I do. Uh, they were super bright, hand selected. Um, and uh, yeah, they were, they were very refined. Um, you know, their military just in general, I would say no, but uh, they've got some highly educated people. And are those dudes, do they, do they go away and get trained or do they, is yeah. it all self? So they go to like London or something like that? Or, yeah. Oh, do they really? and we, yeah. And we train uh, some of their guys at our staff academies and so forth. And uh, okay. they're, they're good to go. Uh, so uh, I, I always liked uh, engaging with them and uh, just, just chatting just to, yeah. you know, I was always, they don't have an expeditionary mindset or they don't have expeditionary experience. What they have is, you know, really a, a foreign internal defense sort of experience along with uh, some conventional um, posturing, particularly along their, uh, their Eastern border. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And are those guys, how they 
so in the U.S. military, people sort of gauge their uh, up in the pecking order is how much combat you've had, uh, where you've been, that sort of thing. Did, did they do the same thing? Oh yeah, I, I spent time on the Afghan border or on the on the Indian border. What's sort of their? Uh, how do they? Other than the fa- other than their actual station in life, mm. uh, how do those guys talk at the uh, O Club? I think it's kind of like uh, you remember Hogan's Heroes. They're always a threat to get sent to the the front. Uh, I, I didn't really hear these guys, uh, you know, talking much about experiences in the, along the border or either border. Um, and so I think postings really is what the, the you know where they're going to get posted, what kind of promotion they're going to get. If they're serious about that stuff. Um, yeah. that, that's really where they get their, their juice, you know. Like well, that, yeah. that's their identity, right? If you're yeah, not a yeah. Pakistani general, you're not your shit. Yeah, exactly. Why did Rayman get promoted? And I did, you know, I don't know. <laughs> that <laughs> actually Rayman. never happened out there, folks. Jimmy got yeah, right. way more than I did. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll see what I can do to help him not get promoted this next go around. So, yeah. Well, isn't that simple? Just boozing hookers from Russia. And there you yeah, go. The, yeah. guys, the, guys on the, uh, the guys on the Afghan border next day. Yeah, we'll, we'll do some sort of airborne campaign. Just like get them on a quick uh fam on how to pull the strings and get them out of it what's the big giant uh aircraft that the russians have uh, oh that thing is uh, crazy Antonov, uh, aircraft. the Blow fact that that thing gets off the ground blows my mind mm-hmm. well, it's like i guess it's like the a380 that's the same yeah. thing we flew we flew back from uh from africa on that thing you can't even you can't even feel when you're leaving the ground or when you're landing it is so humongous, crazy. So, uh, so I, dude, this is an awesome conversation about a place that I know nothing about, but it keeps popping up. And it's my, my personal view uh, is it, it seems like Japan or China is just sort of laying a blanket over that whole part of the world. I mean, they're doing it everywhere. I, I just well, had last week, I just had a, a friend of mine who uh, was from Ghana, Africa. We were talking mm-hmm. about what, what the Chinese are doing in Africa right now. I mean, they're just all over the place. It just, it's going to be very interesting to see how, uh, how Pakistan, India, and that, how that all sort of butts up against China's expansion. Yeah, well, I think the India question is the, the bigger one. You know, they've, they're starting to see some real success uh, just in a lot of places. Uh, I, in fact, I was there, I was talking to a guy, uh, not talking to him, I had a meeting with a guy that uh, um, he had a foundry and he was smelting uh, metal. So, uh, but he was building things for the oil industry. And because uh, our supply chain is so effective globally now, um, he can get parts, not not real fantastic parts, but parts for the uh, oil industry that kind of rudimentary things. Um, he could get them to the United States within a few days. Really? And, uh, oh yeah. I mean, as quick as it would take, it, as quick as it would take you to place an order with um, a company in the U.S. and they for them to manufacture it, um, he could do it and get it shipped about really? the same time. So it down in, in Houston or something. Yeah. He yeah. Could, he could do it. And he, this guy was making uh, spacers. So you drill a pipe, uh, and the pipe it fits into an 18 inch hole. So the pipe will wobble. So these spacers, they drop them in and they stabilize They're they're stabilizers. And so they're not that they're just collars with the yeah. kind of expand, but uh, yeah, it, it was remarkable. These companies uh, that they could manufacture and they could ship stuff out. And he, he played paid, I think his welders, I forget what he was paying them, but uh, it, it was nothing. I mean, 25,000 a year for a, a highly skilled welder and yeah. he can manufacture cheaply and all of them, you know, the big companies, the tech companies and stuff like Tata and those communication companies, they're just, they don't want to see China take their pie. That's all I'm saying. And that's how I perceived it. Yeah. And uh, are they feeling that? Are they feeling that the, it's coming or? Mm, I, they're close, you know, to the, the, you know, on the continent. So, I mean, they, I think they've got to keep their guard up. Uh, yeah. Certainly, yeah. What uh, um, when you were over there, uh, you were primarily talking economics with with business owners yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, and like you said earlier, 
it's almost like most civilians in India, and it sounds like even the civilians in Pakistan don't even think about the, the border conflicts at all. They're just trying uh, to move forward. Yeah, I think they are. And particularly when you get up towards, um, let, let's say, northeast Pakistan and uh, northwest India, where you, you've got families that are from the same uh, ethnic group. Yeah. And, you know, it's been, it was tough on them. 1947 with partition and the war that followed, you know, they lost about a million people, some say two. Um, uh, so there's, you know, still strong family ties. And I think those folks would like to see, uh, definitely would, you know, like to see things just smooth out. But uh, Kashmir, I don't know if that will ever get resolved, but uh, we shall see. It's a good looking place though. I mean, uh, just south of Cape 2 and looks like you're in Switzerland, so. Really? Yeah. Nice. And uh, Zeppelin sang about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you, so you, you could see K2 from Kashmir. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Love it, Jimmy. I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah. The, that's a, the foothills of the Himalayas you know, right up there, just a few hours north of uh, Islamabad. So amazing. Yeah, you, Am you amazing. Uh, all right, my brother. Well, listen, this was, uh, this was awesome. We are basically right at the time here. Um, I really appreciate it. It's, it's, this is exactly what I was looking for. I was looking for just what it is like over there, one. Yeah. The what is the that, politics? Go, go ahead. Sorry. The only thing I'd like to bring up on this that I, I failed to mention was uh, the Balochistan thing. And it goes back to the ISI and the way Pakistan is more internally focused. Uh, Baluchistan is down to the, uh, the southwest, so it's kind of that little boot that uh, abuts um, Iran. Well, the Baluch people want to be independent, and they have for a long time, uh, but they have minerals big uh -huh. time, and so they're not, the Pakistan is not going to give that up, right. um, and they're not going to give up their territory either. So the ISI, they've been conducting kind of a, a clandestine war uh, there for some time. And I, I haven't really heard anything about what's going on, uh, you know, but uh, often you would hear, oh, so-and-so got kidnapped and another person got kidnapped and just uh, that, just lots of ISI activity, um, trying to, to quell any sort of uh, folks that wanted to kind of buck up, if you will. Yeah, so. yeah. What's down there in terms of the minerals? Is it, is it? Uh... Gems and metals. Uh, okay. Mostly, yeah. yeah. I think there's some quarries, but uh, I'm not maybe natural gas. I don't really know. I'm not a. Really but that, those all those things dictate everything. Yeah, and the little fella yeah. is not going to be able to no. protect himself. No, no absolutely not. He's just going to have nuclear tests and stuff like that in the vicinity. So, uh, a few years ago, you know, you've got the FADA. Everybody talks about the FADA. Well, now the FADA that we knew uh, in the Swat Valley and all that is um, called FADA-KP, fada Kawa. So KP was a Kaiba-Katunkawa, the Kaiba area. So they just rolled it up and uh, instead of just being some deal, they, they put it under a province uh, now so they could have a little more, um, just a little more rain on it, but nobody's gonna rain in those dudes, too tough. Oh, you know, and just recently um, uh, an aid worker was killed that was, doing vaccinations for polio the taliban are not into polio vaccinations yeah so they, not they were killed in afghanistan yeah or uh pakistan oh really uh, yeah yeah by the taliban along the border uh so they See, just think it's, it's, a, it, it's funny um the biden administration told us that the pakistan is a very uh, enlightened group yeah well not that much <laughs> maybe they know something we don't know you know, one thing I didn't look at is how COVID affected them, uh, their population. Did they have a lot of people with it? But, uh, I, I, again, I have no, you never hear about it. Yeah. Well, polio is alive and well uh, there. And uh, it's uh, what I read was over the last few years, I don't know how many years, but I want to I want to say like four years or five years, a hundred workers have been, at least a hundred workers have been killed. And th there were several that were killed while I was there. Uh, trying, but trying to vaccinate people. Yeah, uh, mostly women doing the work and uh, amazing, uh, not amazing and actually yeah. horrifying. Yeah, but, yeah. All right, my brother. Well, listen, this was awesome, dude. I'm, uh, it, it's always fascinated me the stories that you told when you came 
about that. And now kind of in and out of the news, but it's in and out of the news in the larger sort of geopolitical game of that part of the world that, that I find fascinating. So I appreciate the insight, brother. Yeah, man, well, let's, uh, let's go hit the base camp at K2 whenever that area frees up a little bit. And, uh, I, I, would actually, I would actually love that, to be honest with you. K2 yeah. or base camp for Everest, one of those two would be awesome. That's, a, that's pedestrian now. Everest. We have to go somewhere really exotic. <laughs> I love it. All right. Hey guys, it's the rain man. Uh, if you're in the military, the police departments, fire departments, the first responders, if that's you out there, thank you for your service. Stay safe. Bruce, Jojo Laughlin. I love it, brother. All right, man. Love you too, man. <laughs> All right. Take care, brother. All right. All right. This is the rain man. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching rain man's take observations on the world. We live in. If you like the content, don't forget to hit the subscribe button below. You can also follow Rain Man's Take on Instagram at Rain Man's Take. Also, check out our website at www.rainmanstakepodcast.com and send your comments to rainmanstake at gmail.com. Keep an eye out for future podcasts, which will be coming out every Thursday at 5 p.m. West Coast time.